The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Appreciate you praying for me. You want to pray for Gary this week. He and Bev will be at Pine Cove ministering there. He'll preach six times this week, um, which in and of itself can be exhausting. And then he's got some grandkids that I'm sure will not wear him out at all. So y'all lift up that great time they'll have with family and then serving folks. And also wanted to mention, I got a text this morning from a guy named Landon Hebison, his wife Mary. Landon is one of the pastors at Miller Heights Baptist Church in Belton, and they had a baby due in September that was born last night. His name is Emmett. He's born very premature, and so they've got a long, good fight ahead of them. And so they asked that we would be praying for them and for little Emmett this morning. We are in John 10. We're continuing this series of Come and See, and today the invitation is to come and see the shepherd. Throughout this book, there's this invitation to come and see, and there's a reason John tells us that he wants us to come and see. At the end of the book, he says, and we've said it over and over and over again, these are written, all that's been written in the book of John is written twofold reason, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, He's Israel's Messiah, God's Son, the Savior of the world, and that believing we might have life in His name. And so today we're going to see that that is a rich, full, abundant, overflowing life. That's why it's written. It's written as Jesus continues just to show Himself as Messiah, as God, as prophet, priest, and king. And in about chapter 5 of John these hard interactions begin to happen and it's clear that not everyone believes. Jesus begins to have difficult interactions with the Pharisees, with some of His followers, and more again with the Jewish leaders to the point of John 6, He tells a large crowd of people that no one can come to Me unless the Father draws Him. Well, why is that? It's, it's because we're, we're sinners in our sinful state. We are god rejectors. There are all kinds of ways the Bible describes this. But in the midst of our rejection, there's this invitation in John 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, this overflowing life. But then the conflict continues with these Jewish leaders in John chapter 8. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But then he tells the Pharisees, you're going to die in your sins. And he goes on to say, your father is the devil. He's the father of lies. And you do the works that he does. And then they think he has a demon. So then we get into John chapter 10. And it's one of those passages where these beautiful pastoral words are spoken of Jesus and his love for his people but also hard words for these Jewish Pharisees who will not believe. And so we're going to start today just by reading John 10, 1 through 21, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. They do not know the voice of a stranger. That's true about sheep. Gary and I were talking about that this week. He said, my grandfather was a shepherd. I asked him, was it Moses? He said, no. 
He said, my grandfather had these sheep. I'd go to his place in the summer. We'd play together, have a great time. But when we'd go out, if I tried to call his sheep, they wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't move toward me. I was a strange voice. But when my grandfather called, those sheep came because they knew his voice. He was the shepherd. See, verse 6 says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, and what he's telling them is, you're thieves and robbers. You're not good shepherds as you ought to be. But they did not understand what he was saying to them, so Jesus, he makes it all the more clear. Verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, rich, full, overflowing. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares Nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life and take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? God, we pray as we look in your word that you would help us to see the good shepherd that your son is, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear his voice and to follow him. Lord, as we look in your word, make our time to be biblical through and through for your glory and for our joy that we might actually walk in the abundant life that the good shepherd came to give us. See, John, throughout this book, throughout this book, he's helping us to see that Jesus is prophet. He comes with a message from God that is true and full, and sometimes the people like it and sometimes they don't, but it's a word from God. He's priest. He's the one who lays down his life for the sheep, and then he's the good shepherd or the shepherd king that Israel is waiting for. So what would he have us hear today from this passage? See, Jesus wants the Jewish leaders to understand that they are not being good shepherds and He's evoking something in the Old Testament as He does this. As Gary and Kenny talked about last week, which by the way, if you weren't here last week, go listen to that online as you hear about the miracle of Jesus opening the eyes of one born blind and showing Himself in so doing to be Israel's Messiah. You might want to turn to Ezekiel 34 as we look at John 10. He says, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. 
The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. He used this figure of speech because they should have understood. These Pharisees knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. And he's telling them, You're not good shepherds. And it's a word that should have pierced them deeply, and they didn't understand it. In Ezekiel 34, there's a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel and a prophecy about a shepherd who will come. Well, first, the prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Shepherds of Israel, you've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? See, the Pharisees were, were Jewish leaders, and they have just expelled from God's temple, which in effect would be God's flock, the man who Jesus Christ had enlightened. He had opened his eyes. They're scattering sheep that God made them to gather. So Jesus' estrangement from official Judaism is further developed by John because he's calling to being a people for himself who will follow him rather than these Pharisees. Jesus is going to refer to bringing out his own. The word brought out, it's the same word used as when they cast this man out of the temple and he gives this picture of the shepherd leading the sheep to find water and pasture, but that's not who the Pharisees are. They're like these evil shepherds. And it's a problem because true and good shepherds care for their sheep. True and good shepherds care for their sheep. And it was a problem when the religious leaders weren't caring for the sheep. And that day, it's a problem today. Last week, live on TV, a quote shepherd, a prosperity gospel preacher, told people, that God wanted them to give him $54 million for a private jet. That's not a good shepherd. Some of the people he's talking to, you understand, they're living day to day and week to week. They can't put food on their table and they'll send this guy money. And that's not a good shepherd. And these Pharisees, they're not good shepherds. Jesus wants them to understand it. And so that's why he tells them what he's telling them. Verse 3, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, and the stray you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. See, it's like they're the opposite of the Messiah who's going to come and open up the eyes of the blind and give strength to the weak and heal the sick and make the lame walk. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And then verse 10, he says in Ezekiel 34, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I'll require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer will the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. He's in effect saying they're wolves for sheep's clothing, or in sheep's clothing, and that's what the Pharisees have become. We need to understand this moment, we can't imagine it being more tense than it is. As he explains, 
that He's the door, He's the good shepherd, and they are not. And what Jesus is telling them is there's only one way into the kingdom of God, and you're not it. See, in chapter 8, when He says, your father's the devil, He's the father of lies, and you do the work that He's doing, you can't imagine it getting more tense, but it does. When I... When I was reading this this week, I thought about this scene in Braveheart where William Wallace has gathered the sons of Scotland and they're scared. They don't know if they can fight this massive army on the other side of the field led by the English nobility who should have been good shepherds caring for the people in their care, but they weren't. They were oppressive. And he rallies the troops and he begins to ride out to meet the English nobles and his friend says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to pick a fight. And he gets out there with the nobles and they begin to tell him their terms for peace and he stops them. And he says, lower your flags and march back to England, stopping at every home you pass by to beg forgiveness for a hundred years of theft, rape, and murder. Do that and your men shall live. Do it not and every one of you will die today. His enemies begin to remind him how he's outnumbered and can't win. And he says, I'm not finished. I can't recall exactly what he says after that. You might remember, I don't remember. But it's not good. See, Jesus is pressing on the Jewish leaders here in a way that does not elicit the response most evangelists would want. But he's telling them there's only one way and I'm it. I'm it. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. So he says that in about verse 2. He says it again. Those who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. They recognized someone else was coming. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. And you might say, well, that's confusing. Because first he says he's the door. And second he says he's the shepherd. But it's not confusing. He's making a point. Here are sheepfolds just like they would have had in ancient Israel. In fact, this one is from Israel. And you can see there's a gate, but there's no door in it. The sheep come in from pasture at night, and they come in, and if they're going to rest securely, they're going to do so because the shepherd lays down between them and the outside world. The shepherd becomes the door. And if a wolf is going to enter, he's going to have to get through that shepherd. If a lion's going to enter, if thieves or robbers are coming in, they're coming through the shepherd. He literally every night lays down his life for the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. And so Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way. There's only one way in and one way out, and it's through me. Then listen, this shouldn't surprise them, and it shouldn't surprise us as his readers, because he's in effect been saying he's the way over and over and over In the book of John, there's this overt, clear statement early on when he's interacting with Nicodemus the Pharisee, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's this beautiful statement, but it's also this confession of there's a danger without Christ you perish. Without Christ you perish, but with him you have eternal life. He says to this woman at the well in Samaria, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. That water I will give him 
will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In John 5, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Well, what's the implication? If you don't hear and believe this word, you will come into judgment. But if you do hear and believe it, you'll have eternal life. He is the way. In John 6, 27 through 29, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. They said to Him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And then Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe Him who He has sent. This is the work of God. This is what leads to life. John seven thirty eight. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And He spoke this about the Spirit. He's saying, I'm the way. John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says it in the middle of this feast. He's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the only way to life. In John 9, Jesus heard they had cast him out, this blind man. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Son of David. I'm the one who offers life. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. In John 14, 6, he'll say it explicitly. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And he says it here in John 10, 9, and 10. I'm, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. See, he's the good shepherd. He's the one who gives the good wine, who gives the living water, who gives the bread of life, who is the poured out treasure, who fills our, our senses with this sweet aroma. He gives a life that brings enjoyment without guilt, intimacy without shame, care that's full of joy. See, Jesus gave away his life so that we could receive eternal life. He made himself nothing so the Father could freely give us all things. He perfectly models this reality that the Scripture speaks of as a good shepherd, that in this kingdom you lead sacrificially and through service. He's not just the door. He's the shepherd who offered his life. He offered his life. He offered his life so our lives would overflow with joy in Him. He gave His life so that we could receive eternal life. He abandoned His life so that we could receive abundant life. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He's the Good Shepherd. So when the psalmist prays, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a prayer that's true at that moment, but looking ahead to this Good Shepherd who will come. He's the one who makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our soul. Even when we walk through these difficult times, the valley of the shadow of death, He is with us. His rod and staff comfort us in Christ. If you're following Him, goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. He's the good shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. See, here's 
Just one quick note we need to make as an aside because we are a Bible church. It's our middle name. John 10.10 might be one of the most quoted verses in the world. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And oftentimes when this is preached, the good shepherd is Jesus, but people, when they see that word thief, they think of Satan. Now hear me, Satan is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But that's not what John 10.10 is talking about. The thieves and robbers in this passage are the Pharisees. They're the Jewish leaders. He says it in verse 2, verse 7, verse 9. And he's making this point. You are not good shepherds. Now again, does Satan come to steal, kill, and destroy? Yes, he does. But we want to understand the context of what we're reading. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Well, just like he's pressed on the Pharisees about who they're not, in Ezekiel 34, he's pressing on them and on all those who will hear about who he is. Is. We're going to pick up Ezekiel 34, 11. Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep. See, the shepherds aren't, so he will. And I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock, whom he is among, his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. And I will free them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on the rich pasture they'll find on the mountains of Israel, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. See, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, they are acting unjustly. They're acting in oppressive ways. They're using the law in evil ways to push down the weak and the brokenhearted. And the same justice that strengthens the weak destroys the strong in this scenario. He goes on to say, I will rescue my flock. And they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now this can't be talking about David. Because it was written 200 years after David died. It's talking about the son of David. The Messiah who will come. And my servant David shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The shepherd of Ezekiel 34 is not just prophet, priest, he's also king. See, God's going to send the good shepherd to take care of his people in a really abundant, overflowing, more than enough sort of way. So Jesus just says, don't you know what the good shepherd does? I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. In one of the Avengers movies, there's a picture of what it looks like to, to be a leader. To love with your life. And it's just a small picture, but let's watch it together. Let's see. When you brought a knife. Oh. Try that again. When you brought a 90-pound asthmatic onto my army base... 
Look at that. He's making me cry. Hodge passed every Ninety pound asthmatic onto my army base. <laughs> Look at that. He's making me cry. Hodge passed every test we gave him. He's big, he's fast, he obeys orders, he's a soldier. He's a bully. You don't win wars with niceness, doctor. You win wars with guts. Get away! Get back! The dummy grenade. Is this a test? He's still skinny. I, I wish somebody would say that about me. See, here's the reality. That's a small picture of what it looks like, this man who's willing to lay down his life. But when Jesus was tempted in every way, as we are, yet was without sin, it wasn't just a test. And when he prayed and sweat drops of blood in the garden, it wasn't just a test. And when he said, not my will, but yours be done, it wasn't just a test. And when he was beaten and mocked and spit upon, it wasn't just a test. And when he was crucified and his side was pierced, it wasn't just a test. And three days later, when he rose from the dead, it wasn't just a test. See, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And here's the truth about the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows the sheep intimately and loves them deeply. The good shepherd knows the sheep intimately and loves them deeply. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as a father knows me. And I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is making an important point here. He makes it again later in the chapter. And the people who have ears to hear love it and the Jewish leaders will hate it. This word, know. It's gnosko. It's the same root in Matthew chapter 7, as these people are coming, and Jesus tells this story about people who come at the end of days and say, Lord, remember what we did. We prophesied. We cast out demons in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. There wasn't this intimate knowledge, but he knows the sheep, and the sheep know him. It's the same root as Romans 8, those he foreknew. There was this people he was going to bring to himself. He predestined to be conformed to the image of God. Galatians 4, 9, where Paul says, How is it that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God? Can you imagine the richness of what it means to be Known by God, to be known deeply and loved intimately. Maybe there's someone in your life, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a best friend, maybe it's your spouse, that they know just about everything there is to know about you. And they still love you? Isn't that amazing? I mean, for all of us, right? Somebody really knows the deepest, darkest parts of who we are, and they look at us and say, I love you. Y'all don't ask Laura Bowers about that. She's got too much to tell. But see, more than our spouse, or more than our best friend, or more than even our parents, or more than our children, Jesus knows the deepest, darkest secrets. And He lays down His life for us, the sheep, to be known intimately and loved deeply. 
And it's a beautiful word for the sheep, but it's a hard word for the Pharisees. And I don't want to dive too far into texts that we'll look at in a couple of weeks. But a little further on in this passage, Jesus has this interaction with the Pharisees. Where the Jews gather around him and they say to him, verse 24, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I told you and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not part of my flock. You're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's this hard, intense moment and it comes to a head because the Pharisees, they look at Jesus and they don't understand what's happening. What they think is happening is this guy comes on the scene and he thinks he's the Messiah and people are following him but we're rejecting him as Israel's Messiah. But here's what's actually happening. Jesus is rejecting them as the shepherds of Israel. My sheep know my voice and they follow me You don't believe because you're not my sheep. He's telling them some things that they do not want to hear. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. And there's this important thing to understand that if you treat the grace of God in Christ as a small thing, because some of you, you hear this and you think, I don't know, Jesus, is that really, is he the only way? Is that a big deal? Well, when you treat the grace of God as a small thing, if you're not careful, you will one day find the wrath of God as a big thing. And I don't want that for anybody in this room. See, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I know them and they know me. And he just continues on. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. The good shepherd has a global flock. You knew I was going to talk about missions today. It's not me, it's Jesus. He's the one that said this. The good shepherd has a global flock. John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So then there will be one flock, one shepherd. See, some people hear this and they think, oh, there are other sheep not of this fold. So so Muslims can be Muslim and if they're sincere, they'll be saved. And, And Hindus can be Hindus and if they're sincere, they'll be saved. And Buddhists can be Buddhists and if they're sincere, they'll be saved. And no, Jesus has said, we've looked at it, I'm the only way. I'm the only way, but I will send my followers out to some of the hardest places on earth. So that Muslims can hear the gospel and believe and and Buddhists can hear the gospel and believe and Hindus can hear the gospel and believe and Gentile Texans can hear the gospel and believe. See, he says, I must bring them in. And what we want to see here is that the sovereignty of God in this truth enables us to send and to go to some of the hardest places on earth. There are young ladies that that my wife and I love and some of you love that are in places on this map this summer that are very hostile to the gospel. But we will prayerfully send them and we know we don't send them in vain because Jesus has other sheep not of this fold and he must bring them in also. And the scripture tells us in other places that these sheep are from every tribe, 
every tongue, every language, every nation. That's why when our brothers and sisters in Ukraine are being pressed in with hostility from Russia, other nations around them where they do not want to hear the gospel, they're sending the gospel out now. We'll go and partner with them because there are other sheep not of this fold that must come in also. That's why we go to Rwanda. Our sister church is there. The government is shutting down churches, but there are other sheep that are not of this fold. They must come in also. And people say, is it safe where we send these people? And there's nothing in this text that says anything about safety. But it does say that Jesus, who's Lord of heaven and earth, has other sheep not of this fold. And they must come in. They must come in and he will bring them in because the Father has given them to him. Of all the Father has given to him, he will not lose one. They must come in and yet they must hear his call and respond. One commentator says there's this divine sovereignty and human responsibility at play. And saying that he must bring them in, he speaks of this love that goes in search of the lost and will bring in all that are his. And so when I read this, I think there are a couple of important points Jesus makes about the work that he is going to do. The sovereignty of God is what undergirds global mission. It's what undergirds global mission because we trust God's character more than our own to bring in all who will believe. So Jesus speaks this truth with unwavering confidence because he knows what he is going to do. And it's hard for the Jewish leaders to hear for a couple of reasons. First, because Jesus is telling them that he is ruling and they are not, and that presses against their pride. And second, he's not just telling them that he's bringing people to God, but he's bringing people together. So he's standing there right in the temple where they believe is the center of religious Jewish life, when in fact Jesus has become the center of all religious life. And not just though that God has sheep, but he has sheep of other races that will obtain the same favor of God as them as they think they're the chosen race. And it offends them that others might have the same favor with God that their race has. I'm, I'm glad we don't struggle with things like that anymore. See, there's going to be one shepherd and one flock made up of Jew and Gentile come together as a sign to the nations that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is going to lay down his life for the sheep. And the Father loves this about his Son. The Father loves this about his Son. But he's not just going to lay down his life. He's going to lay down his life that he might take it up again. See, what makes Jesus... God, the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34, is not just that he dies, but that he will rise again. God will be the shepherd with his people. And then Jesus makes a beautiful, beautiful statement. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. He says, no one's taking my life from me. The Pharisees have already tried to over and over. They would pick up stones to stone him or they would try to catch him to kill him, but his hour had not yet come. And he says, no one's going to take my life from me. I'm going to lay it down on my own accord and I will raise it back up again. This is an important word. There's this word that theologians use called atonement that is Jesus' death as a substitute when he took our sins, the wrath of God upon himself 
so that we could be freed from God's wrath and enter in God's righteousness. And, and some theologians hear this and they go, oh, that's cosmic child abuse, that's awful. But here's the reality. Jesus makes a farce of that statement. He makes a farce of that statement. Here's the beauty of the atoning death of Jesus is nothing is taken from Him. Instead, He's freely offering Himself. He knows you and me deeply and He loves us intimately. And He loves us through laying down His life. And so again... There is a division. There's a division. Verse 19, there was again a division among them. The Jews, because of these words, many said, He's a demon. And insane, why listen to Him? Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They refer back to chapter 9, what He's just done. See, whether or not you trust Jesus as Lord and King is the most important thing about you. It will have the greatest impact on your life. And I wonder, I wonder if by the grace of God today, some of you, you're hearing this and you want to embrace this idea of being intimately known and deeply loved. Maybe today you'd want to cry out to the Good Shepherd because see, some didn't believe and some knew the good shepherd was among them. Some of you hear this and you're just cold. You want nothing to do with it. And others of you, others of you, you hear it. And you think, oh, I, I, I need that. I need forgiveness for my sins. I need to be intimately known and deeply loved by God. I need to embrace this reality that Jesus has come to give me life that's abundant because you've chased after all kinds of things trying to get a life that's full and you've got a life that's empty. And today the good shepherd says, I've laid my life down for you and I've taken it up again so that you can have full, overflowing, abundant life. So a question that I want to leave us with is, are you ready to come and see? Are you ready to come and see that Jesus is the Christ? Are you ready to believe in Him and believing? Are you ready to have life in His name? So what I'm going to ask us to do, just like we did last hour, is just to take a posture of prayer and maybe as you bow your head, maybe you're praying for yourself or maybe you're praying for somebody to the right or left of you or maybe you're praying for somebody else in this room, but let's just take a moment to pray. And as we pray, I just want to ask this. Some of you today, some of you today would say, I want to have this life. I want to have this abundant life that Jesus came to give. And I want to pray for you in a moment. And I'm going to ask you to do something right now. If you want to have that life, if you're confessing, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. I want my sins forgiven. I want to put my life in the hands of the Good Shepherd. I just want to ask you to stand right where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I just want to ask you to stand so I can pray for you and know who you are. We'll just take a moment. You'd say today, I want to know that he's my shepherd. Amen. God, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that Jesus is a good shepherd who laid his life down for us and and took it up again so that we could have free and full and rich and forgiven 
overflowing, abundant, eternal life. And God, I thank you for new brothers and sisters from this last hour and new brothers and sisters in this hour who are saying today they want to put their hope in you. God, I pray we as your people would love them, encourage them, surround them, support them, that we'd model the good shepherd to one another and to the world that needs so desperately to see that there's a way to life. So God, may our lives be full and rich and filled with joy in your presence as we go to serve you and others this week. In Jesus' name, amen. And you're dismissed.